Amen. Well, today I'm going to do something that I rarely uh, do. I'm going to recycle a sermon, or uh, maybe, maybe it'll make it better if I say I'm going to repurpose a sermon uh, for you this morning. Uh, in this case, it's a sermon that I preached on a Wednesday night, uh, not very long ago. It's been some time uh, ago, so uh, the majority, majority of you probably haven't heard it anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> You wouldn't know any better, uh, but for the ones who are thinking when I preach it, I've heard that before. Yeah, it's, chances are maybe you have heard some of this message uh, before. I'm sorry for repeating it if you've heard it before, uh, but it's, uh, in my opinion, it's, it's very beneficial information, and it is in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. Amen. Joshua 22. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, we ask for your anointing. We know that, Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is freedom. So, God, we need your Spirit here this morning to break every yoke, God, and to accomplish what you desire to do in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our nation. God, we pray that you would just come and that you would have your role, Lord, in this service, God. I pray for your anointing, that, God, you would give me an instructed tongue this morning, and that, Lord, I would not speak, God, out of any uh, human persuasion, but that, God, your anointing would be upon me, and that I would preach your word in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, there's a very interesting story here that takes place in Joshua chapter 22. It takes place... Uh, near the end of the conquest of the promised land, and that's what we've been talking about, possessing the land, possessing the promises of God in our lives. And uh, it happens after each tribe has been given a separate inheritance in the promised land, and that's what we talked about last time I preached, is about our inheritance, the inheritance that God has given to us. Well, this takes place after each tribe has received their inheritance and the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, or half of the tribe of Manasseh, are released then to cross back over the Jordan uh, to settle in the inheritance that they had previous, previously received uh, on that side of the river. You, you may remember that Moses had promised those two and a half tribes, he had promised them an inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan River if they agreed to cross over the river and to help their brothers subdue the land, the promised land on uh, the western side of the river. So having done that, now they are eager to return to their homes and eager to return to their family, their inheritance on the other side of uh, the river. So look at Joshua chapter 22 and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. And at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all the Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. And you have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn... And go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be careful 
to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk out of his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now for the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession besides their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. And so the people of Reuben and the uh, people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, part of the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own, their own land of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it, uh, uh, and the people have heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Now, let's pause for just a second. The men, of the, the men of the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh are released uh, by Joshua from their obligation to help subdue the promised land after all of the other tribes have received their inheritance in the promised land. They're released from their obligation so that they can go back to their inheritance that they had received on the other side uh, of the Jordan and to cross back over into their own land. But before they turn to their own homes and to their own inheritance, they pause just long enough to build an altar, an altar, the Bible says, of imposing size. Uh, the implication is, is that this is not something that they just threw together on one afternoon before they crossed over the river uh, and they went back to their homes. So it took them several days to construct this altar. And in fact, uh, it drew the attention of the rest of the tribes of Israel. So it took them some time uh, to do this and it attracts the attention of the other tribes. And uh, their response is not predictable. The Bible says that when they heard of it, the other tribes... It says they gathered together in order to make war against Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Well, they did that because they interpreted uh, their action, building an altar there on the frontier, they interpreted their action as a declaration of independence, a signal that they intended to separate from the rest uh, of Israel. Not just geographically, but also politically and spiritually, that they were, in other words, going to secede from Israel. They were going to form their own religion. They were going to form their, their own nation. And so the other tribes, the other tribes confront uh, Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh about this. 
And so we see that confrontation in verse number 15. Look again uh, at chapter 22. And so they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? See, the men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh they quickly assure the rest of Israel that, that they have misunderstood their action, that they're not actually in rebellion against God, that they're not seeking to separate from uh, Israel. They have no intention of deserting their brethren or rebelling against God. This, that's not what this altar is about, they assure uh, the other tribes. They say that they have not built this altar for actual sacrifices because that would be a violation of God's words. Because only uh, the Levitical priesthood could offer sacrifices. And they could only offer sacrifices in the location that God set apart uh, for them to offer sacrifices. So if this were an actual altar built for actual sacrifices, then uh, they can see this would be an act of rebellion against God and against Israel. But the, the people of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh assure the other tribes that they have built this altar as a memorial, as a reminder to future generations to serve the Lord. Look at verse number 24. They respond uh, to the other tribes and they say, No, we did, we did this. We built this altar from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no right or portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this could be said to us or our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. So this altar that is built in Joshua chapter 22 is built by the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, it was built as a witness to the future generations of Israel. In fact, that's what they named uh, the altar. Verse 34 says that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Far from being a, an act of rebellion, Far from an act of secession from the rest of Israel, this altar was constructed by Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh uh, as a witness 
to future generations for a time that was yet to come that the Lord is God. They built this altar of witness, not for sacrifice, but for a time that was yet to come, a time when their children and when their children would need a reminder of the inheritance that God had given them in Israel. A reminder that God had given them this land, that it belonged to them, that, and that God had divinely apportioned this land to all of Israel. And then they would need a pattern for how to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, wouldn't it be nice uh, this morning if I could guarantee, if, if we could find some guarantee that our children and our, our uh, grandchildren would always serve the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could guarantee that our kids would always serve God and that our grandchildren uh, would always serve God. Unfortunately, there's no way to guarantee uh, that our kids and that their kids and the future generations will serve the Lord. In fact, uh, I've seen many parents' hearts broken, many grandparents' hearts broken because their kids or their grandkids do not serve the Lord, because they've turned away from God and their hearts have been broken by uh, rebellious kids and uh, the sinful choices that they make in their life. And I, and I think as a pastor that I could offer a guarantee that would never fail to produce godliness in future generations. If I could do that, uh, I could be a rich man. <laughs> if I can guarantee that your kids would never turn away from God or that your grandkids would always serve the Lord. But I can, but I can tell you this morning three ways that are guaranteed to fail. Three ways that are guaranteed to fail. Number one, uh, if you want your kids to turn away from God, then number one, assume that your experience will automatically transfer to the next generation. It's, it's a recipe that, is, that guarantees failure if you assume that because I serve God, and because I have an experience with Jesus Christ, if you assume that your experience is automatically going to transfer to your kids, then unfortunately uh, you may be wrong. Second way that, uh, that is guaranteed to fail is to confuse material prosperity with spiritual blessing. Work so hard at providing for your kids and providing for your family that you neglect their spiritual prosperity, and it's a, it's a recipe for failure. Or number three, trust somebody else to make the decision for you. Trust somebody else to lead your kids uh, to the Lord. Well, those are three ways that you are guaranteed to fail, guaranteed not to pass on your experience with God to the next generation. And maybe the men of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben, as they were on their way back home, they listened and they found Joshua's words uh, to them. And before they crossed back over the Jordan, they realized that they needed to do something for a time that was to come when their children and the children of Israel the nation of Israel needed to be reminded that the Lord is God. When their children needed to be reminded how to worship God,
God in spirit and in truth. And so they constructed this allegory of witness that they found witness as a memorial, as a reminder, as a witness to future generations that the Lord is God and how to worship Him. They could not, they decided that they could not take for granted that their children would automatically serve the Lord as they had. They could not assume that the material blessings that, that they had accumulated, remember Joshua said when he released them, you've accumulated much silver and gold and livestock, you've become rich and you've become prosperous. They could not assume that material prosperity uh, would produce gratitude and spiritual maturity in their kids. And they could not afford to leave the faith of their children and their grandchildren in the hands of somebody who might arise one day to lead them astray from the Lord God. And so they made a choice. Right there on the border of the Jordan River, they said, we'll build a, a large and imposing altar that will remain even after we're gone. Long after we're gone, this altar will remain as a witness. It will remain as a memorial. Uh, it cannot build an altar without, it cannot guarantee that a future generation will serve the Lord, but this altar will be a witness to them. It'll be a reminder, and it will be a pattern for worshiping God. You see, possessing the land is more than just claiming something for us. Possessing the promises of God has to mean something more than just claiming something for us. I believe that it also has to include securing those blessings for the next generation. Securing that inheritance for those that will come after us. And so the men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, what can we do to communicate this inheritance, to communicate the promises of God, to communicate the pattern for worshiping God, what can we do to communicate that to future generations? And so they built a witness to future generations. So we also have to concern ourselves with the question of what are we doing to communicate to future generations the biblical values that we hold and that we trust as believers in Jesus Christ. Here's one thing that you can do. Build a witness that will speak to your children that will speak to your children's children. Build a witness that will speak to the next generation long after you're gone. A witness about what it means to serve the Lord. Now listen, I cannot guarantee you that if you're a good witness to your kids, because I know that there have been many good witnesses, good parents, good men and women whose children do not serve the Lord. So I cannot guarantee that if you're a good witness to your kids, uh, that they definitely will serve God, but I can guarantee you this. I can guarantee you that if you assume your experience will automatically transfer to your kids, you're wrong. I can guarantee that if you put more value on material prosperity than on spiritual prosperity, then you will regret it. And I can guarantee you that if you leave the faith of your kids and the faith of the next generation up to somebody else, then somebody else will come and will lead them astray and lead them away from God. So we need to consider what are we doing to secure 
the spiritual blessings, God's inheritance to the next generation. We need to build a witness that will teach them about the values and the honor, uh, how to honor God and to inherit his blessings. And fortunately, we're given a pattern for how we build such a witness for the next generation. It's given in verse number five, if you look back, when John those men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So as you go back to your homeland, only be very careful. This is verse number five. Only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk out his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your hearts and with all of your soul. That establishes for us a pattern for how we as believers, as parents, as a church, can build a witness for the next generation. The first, the first step is, number one, love the Lord. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Loving the Lord speaks to what are our passions what are the passions and the priorities of your life? Consider that. What, what is it that you really love? What are the priorities of your life? How do you measure a person's passion? How do you measure a person's uh, priorities in their life? Well, I know one way that is deceptively unreliable. It is to trust what a person says. It's to trust what a person says that they love, or what their passions and their priorities are. Isaiah warns us about uh, the danger of professing love for God when in reality uh, our heart is somewhere else. He says, and the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. See, it's easy to say, I love the Lord, for your heart to be far from God. Jesus actually gave us the most reliable way to measure our love. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart really belongs. The most convincing way to demonstrate your love for the Lord is to give Him priority in how you spend your time, in how you spend your talents, and how you spend your treasure. Amen? That will offer the most convincing proof of where your heart is. Your kids will see that, and it will be much more convincing than you trying to explain to them how much you love God, even though you never go to church, you never give anything, or you never volunteer. First way to leave a witness for future generations is to love God with all of your heart. And to demonstrate your love by putting your time, your talent, and your treasures in the things of God and demonstrating your love and your commitment to Jesus Christ. Number two, walk. Joshua says to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, walk in his ways. That speaks to the, the manner and the attitude 
of our lifestyle. In the book of Ephesians, Paul encourages us not to walk according to our former way of living. He said, you once walked in darkness. But he says, now rather we should walk as children of the light. He says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called without humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you want to set an example to your kids, if you want to build a witness to future generations that will speak much, uh, much louder and much longer than you could ever speak while you're here, then learn to walk in love and learn to walk in humility and gentleness and patience. Last week, we heard from Chi Alpha, and uh, we are all alarmed when, when we hear the terrible statistics that as many as 75% of Christian students leave the church when they go off uh, to college. 75%, as much as 75% leave the church when they go off to college. And we need to do a better job as a church retaining those kids and keeping them uh, in church. But you know what the most effective thing that we can do for those kids? We can walk the walk in front of them. Because according to one study, the, the number one contributing factor of the high dropout rate that uh, we experience among our college-age kids is the hypocrisy that they witness at home and in the church. That's sad, isn't it? You want to provide a witness to your kids and to the next generation? Then walk the walk before them. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, make sure you all still with me this morning. Walk the walk in front. I'm sorry, there's, just, uh, there's no, no way to sugarcoat that one. I apologize. <laughs> but kids who are dragged to church or dropped off at church by parents who gossip and gripe and criticize and complain, unfortunately, they're being inoculated against the gospel instead of being led to Jesus Christ. So you want to provide a witness for future generations, then love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your, demonstrate that through how you, how you spend your time and your talent and your treasure. And then walk the walk in front of your kids and in front of this generation. And then number three, keep his commandments, Joshua urged. Uh, the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This is, speaks to the choices and the decisions that we make. Obey the Lord. Let me ask a question. How many parents who have kids living at home? This, how many of you have kids living at home? Just raise your hand. All right. Then let me ask you a question this morning. How well do you think it would work for you and for your home if you went home and you announced to your kids that from this point on obedience was optional. <laughs> obedience is optional. I'm going to tell you what to do, but you know, it's up to you. Whether you well, we laugh because we know that wouldn't work out uh, well at all. <laughs> no, we, we try to teach and we try to train our kids that obedience is not optional. 
I tell my kids obedience is not optional and obedience needs to be quick and it needs to be complete. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, uh, I'll say, go do this, or Irene will say, go do this, and they'll sit there and, and they might have their iPod or something, okay, and they're playing. I'll say, did you hear, Mom? And they'll, okay, yeah, and they'll put it away and they'll go <laughs> and they'll do it. Listen, kids, kids don't always um, obey quickly and kids don't always uh, obey completely. They're not, there are no perfect uh, kids. The kids need to be taught that obedience is not optional. Amen? They need to be taught that they must obey. They need uh, to obey. However, uh, they need to be, uh, in fact, the Bible says somewhere, I think, uh, children, obey your parents in everything for it pleases the Lord. That's in the Bible, isn't it? Amen? But listen, but we ought to be an example to them. We ought to be to them. Amen? They should, listen, they should learn obedience by observing us obey our Heavenly Father. That where God's Word says something, we don't think, well, that's optional. But we understand that obedience is not optional. That what His Word says, that's what we ought to do. Can I get an amen? amen. So we set a witness for future generations by being obedient to the Word of God. The fact of the matter is that the church faces a credibility crisis in our culture. It's similar to what Jesus said will happen in the last days when he said, you know, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, you call me Lord, but why don't you do the things that I told you to do? You see, it's a credibility problem that we face. And if we want to set a witness, build a witness for future generations, then we must learn to obey God completely. Amen? Follow his commands. Obey his commands. Number four, cling to him. Joshua says cling to the Lord. Now this speaks of the, the patience and the endurance of our faith. Listen, if you only honor God and you only obey God during the good times, then how many knows you're not teaching your kids about faith in God? If your commitment to God fluctuates based on the circumstances that you're experiencing, then you're teaching them that faith is nothing more than the expression of your emotions in the moment. If good things are happening, then I'm going to church, I'm praising God, I'm on, on cloud nine, but if bad things are happening. Listen, if you live your life that way, then you're not teaching anybody anything about faith because faith is the ability to trust God, to cling to God, even during the bad times and the difficult times. So when your kids see you worship, even in the bad times, when they see you serve him through the suffering and through the pain, when your kids see you obey God, even at great cost uh, to you, then you are teaching them what it means to cling to the Lord and hold on to God. You're teaching them that faith is based on who God is and not on how you feel. Can I get an amen? So if you want to set an example to your kids and to a future generation, then set the example by clinging to God, even in the bad times, hold on to him. And then number five, serve him, Joshua says. Serve. If you want to set a witness for a future generation, then serve him. This speaks of our, the good works and the mercy 
that we demonstrate to others. Your kids will not learn about compassion and mercy at school or from the television set. Amen? Your kids will not learn about good works and how to show compassion and how to show love, how to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. They'll not learn it at school. They'll not learn it from the television set. They need to see it modeled by you. They need to see you doing good works. They need to see you showing compassion. They need to see you showing mercy to others. You need to uh, invite them to participate with you as you volunteer and as you do so that they can see that you take seriously what God's word says and what it means about serving God and obeying him. Listen, we have a future generation that is watching everything that we're doing. Amen. And I want to make sure that we do everything as the church of Jesus Christ to secure the blessings of God for the next generation. And then the generation after that. Amen. I don't want to lead, I don't want to leave my kids' faith to chance. Because I'm sure that there's somebody that will come along and will lead them in when they get to college. I'm sure there will be a professor there that will try to teach them and talk to them about how they ought to believe or how they ought not to believe. I hope that I have set the example before them and I have built a witness for them so that they can look and see and remember the pattern of what sincere worship for God looks like. Amen. And so we as, as parents need to do that. We as a church, we must be serious about providing a witness for future generations so that they can understand what it means to serve and honor God. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask Mike if you'll come to the piano. I'm praying for and I'm believing for revival in these last days. I'm asking God to move in these last days. I'm, I'm believing the people are going to come into the church that maybe have never even darkened the church doors before. I believe they're going to be drawn by two things that are going to bring them into the kingdom of God. Number one are the circumstances in the world. I believe that what we're being fulfilled around us are prophetic things. The world is going worse and worse, just like God's word said that it would. And I believe that people will progressively lose more trust, more faith, more hope in this world. Whether it's politics or presidents or congress God's word teaches us not to have faith in those things, not to trust in those things. And I think that the conditions of the world that are developing around us are teaching people not to trust and not to hope in the things of this world. But then second of all, I believe that they'll look to the church and they must see in the church. They need to see in the, in the light of believers a witness of a sincere faith in Jesus Christ. They need to look to the church and where they have lost faith in the world, they need to find faith in Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility as believers to be that witness to them. So I want us to pray. I want us to ask God, God help us to be that kind of church. The Glad Tidings Church would be that kind of church in our community that would be a lighthouse, an example, a witness to the community around us. But before I move up, let me ask you, if you're here this morning and you do not know